Can't Believe is the name of this series, and some of you might be thinking, this is just not a series for me, because I do believe, you know, and, and, and I am here, and I am, and, but, but this belief that we're talking about, the belief that is often mentioned in God's Word, isn't just an intellectual acknowledgement of what's true kind of belief. It's a trust, living out kind of belief. It's the difference between believing that these parachutes will, will keep you safe if you jump out of an airplane you know, that intellectual acknowledgement of that. And then the difference between that and then actually jumping out of the airplane, right? Like that's a different kind of belief right there than, than in the parking lot, right? And, and this is the kind of belief that God wants us to have. And so today we're talking about different kinds of disbelief. And today we're going to talk about a short-sighted belief or really a distracted belief. And, and this is kind of the summary of the whole message here. It was uh, something that William Carey said. William Carey was a successful uh, man in, in Great Britain, and he left his job and everything that he knew and went to India for the next 40-some years of his life, translated the Bible into Sanskrit, helped us start uh, teaching uh, pastors there to reach that Indian nation. This is what he said, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. And I think that is the greatest danger in this room. I don't think the greatest danger in this room, and for those listening online, is that we're going to leave here and that we are going to work really hard to do evil, wicked things to hurt people. I don't think that's the greatest danger for us. I think the greatest danger is this, that we'll do good things, but not great things. And Jesus confronts that distraction from the belief and the trust and from what he wants in John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, he feeds, at the beginning of the book, he feeds 5,000 men plus women and children with just five little dinner rolls and two fish. And the people are like, "Woo, this is awesome. It says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's to come into the world. And uh, hmm, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And this is a, a picture here of, of the mountain. Maybe this is the Sea of Galilee. We don't know which mountain he went up onto, but maybe that was, it was that one. But a pretty desolate place. So, so just think through this with me. Jesus is becoming so popular, they want to make him king. And what does he do? He runs away. It's like his Twitter feed is like blowing up and he's trending online and his Facebook or Instagram account is like he's got, you know, tens of thousands, now hundreds of thousands of followers and he just deletes it all. And, and it's not like they wanted to do something bad. I mean, feeding hungry people, what's wrong about that? Becoming king of an incredibly tyrannical, corrupt awful government, the Roman government. What, what would be wrong with that? Think of all the injustice that he would solve and fix if he was king. But Jesus is single-minded in his focus and he realizes that that's not what these people need. These people don't need a king, most of all. These people don't need food and economic help, most of all. They need me. And they don't really want me. They want... They want everything else. And so he goes up on the mountain, and I'm skipping through this chapter. You can read the whole thing this afternoon to, to get the whole story. But he goes up on a mountain to pray, and then his disciples head off on a boat. There's a storm. Jesus walks out on the water, gets with his disciples. They unload. And the people see, found Jesus on the other side. 
And they're thinking, what? Did it, didn't you go in the opposite direction up on the mountain? And then, like, how did you get here? When did you get here? Rabbi, when did you get here? And he responds, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I perform, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And so Jesus is saying, don't live your life for secondary things, for things that spoil. That's the big question I want to pose to you and want you to think through. Are you living for things that spoil? And what are some examples of things that spoil? I think the last two years plus have been a demonic distraction to most believers. And, and if you can even think back to two years ago, remember, save the environment. There was this little 12-year-old European girl who was crying in front of hundreds of thousands of people and flying on chartered jets uh, to tell people not to fly on jets and to save the environment, right? And that was this big deal, and there's all this, you know, attention and and, and to, to save the environment. And then there was this, you know, the Wall Street movement. That was a few years ago. We are the 1%. You know, we are the 99%. Um, we don't like the 1%. And this whole income inequality. And, and, and you can be on either side of that and say, yeah, it is unequal. You know, the rich pay almost everything. And it should be more equal. And the taxes should be less. And then, and then who can forget over a year ago, the riots all summer. Hundreds of, of, of riots and, and dozens of cities and Black Lives Matter and racism. And here's the thing about all of these issues. They're secondary. You say, how could you say racism isn't the primary problem in our nation? I can say that because Jesus would say that. Because he walked away from fixing injustice. Because he said, I didn't come to fix political and, and economic injustice in the world. I came to fix something much more important, our hearts. And then there's Blue Lives Matter, police officers being executed on the street and people cheering. And oh, pastor, how can you say we shouldn't stand behind our police officers? No, that's definitely important. Racism is wrong. Police are doing a great thing. I'm for, I'm pro-police. Even when they pull me over, I'm like, you're right. I deserve to be pulled over, except when it was like a taillight. Like, really? A taillight? But they didn't, they didn't give me a ticket for that. So that was, that was good. Um, and I got it fixed. So, and then the next, the next, do you, do you notice, you know, you know how many different crises have been created in the last couple years and have been a spotlight on this guy, Laurel Hubbard, the oldest weightlifter this year in the Olympics? And he never was a really great weightlifter. And now he's past his prime and he's got that male pattern baldness going on. But it's Laurel Hubbard. He's lifting as a woman. And this is another, another distraction from what is most important. And who, masks. And some people believe everybody should wear masks. And other people believe that I should have a choice whether I wear masks or not. And we get all worked up about this stuff. And then vaccines. Everybody should take a vaccine. The world would be better if you just shut up and do what you're told. 
And then other people on the other side saying, hey, my body, my choice, whatever happened to that slogan? And, and we're all upset and worked up about causes that aren't Jesus. None of them are the problem. They're all symptoms of the problem. It's like if I came in here this morning and I had a nail sticking out of my arm. And I told you, let me tell you, I've had a terrible week. And you're like, I can see you had a terrible week. Like, no, you don't understand, man. I've had this incredible pain in my arm, so I've gotten some drugs for that. And, and I'm just totally exhausted all the time from the blood loss. And, and so, you know, I, I just need some help. So I've been trying to drink a lot of caffeine. And then i got to change, like, my sheets every morning. They're, like, stained with blood. And i got to be buying new sheets all the time. And, and I was just wondering if I could borrow a few shirts from you because my shirts are getting snagged every day. Can, I, can, you, can you give me some shirts? That's what I need is shirts. And you'd be like, you know what? You're attacking the symptoms. And I'm not going to give you any shirts. That's what Jesus said. I'm not giving you more food. That's not the problem. All those things, they're not the problem. They're distractions. They're secondary things. C.S. Lewis said this, one of my favorite authors. And he said this, if you, if you put first things first, you get second things thrown in. It's like bonus. But he said, if you put second things first, you get neither first or second things. You lose it all. And I think that's what's been happening in our country. That's what's been happening to many believers and our churches is that we're focused on second things. And Satan is like, victory, just ignore the nail. Run around trying to fix your exhaustion, trying to fix your pain, trying to fix your snagged shirts. Here's a sign that you're distracted from what's most important. Jesus is boring. Man, you get home at the end of a long day and you're like, you know, what, what am I going to do? And you think, man, I wonder what Ben Shapiro is going to say. Or I'm going to go look at uh, Bill Maher and see what, what, he's, what he's got to say. That'll be interesting. The Bible, uh, that's just kind of boring. I'm going to go, you know, this is much more interesting. This is much more, more, you know, exciting. This is my favorite slide of the year. This is how we are, okay? This is a very common meme. If, if, if your pastor knows of the meme, it's, it's probably not cool anymore. So, but this is what we do. This is what we do. We're like, we, we got Jesus with us, but oh yeah, Jesus, good causes. Let's go follow that. What, what should be secondary in your life that you have made primary? What is it that you, and maybe it's none of these type causes. Maybe it's, you're like, you know what? If I could just get my economic, I mean, I'm in a financial bind right now. And if I could just fix that and solve that, it'll free up some brain space. And then I'll focus on Jesus. And you know what? I'm, I'm going through marital problems right now. And if I could just, you know, get that settled, you know, that's just consuming. It's all consuming. And, and, and then, then I can focus on Jesus. But I don't have time for Jesus right now. I have this pain that needs to be dealt with. He is the primary thing. This is a pastor. J.D. Greer said this. What if we achieved every political agenda we dreamed of? What if we achieved peace in our time and the American dream became a reality for everyone and there was peace and justice for all and we slowed the rise of the oceans and healed the planet and then the, this generation, our generation dies and goes to hell. 
Is that success? The way we live, I think most of us live the way that that would be success. And we need, we need to refocus and not get squirrel, right? Not get distracted on all the things because this is a satanic, I don't think it's necessarily orchestrated by human beings, but there's definitely a demonic force behind what's going on to look over here, look over there. Forget about Jesus. There's a crisis going on. Jesus says this, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Our greatest need is satisfied in God. What is distracting you from him? And and I know for a lot of people, this doesn't make sense. How is God everything I need? But but that is the answer. Jesus refutes two different um, problems that, that are, are that two different sick versions of Christianity when he's talking about this. The one sick version of Christianity is something called uh, the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says, come to Jesus and he'll give you all sorts of stuff. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm not going to give you stuff anymore. You come to me for me. No more food. And in fact, the prosperity gospel, you know, you come to Jesus and you'll be rich and famous is basically what, what those kinds of churches and those kinds of Christians teach you. And, and was Jesus rich? No. Was he famous? He tried his best not to be. He walked away from fame on more than one occasion. And so that's, that's an aberration. That's not what's real and true. In fact, um, the Jews began to, so after this whole thing, and they meet him on the other side of the lake, and they're looking for another handout, and they want to make him king, he preaches the absolute worst possible sermon he could possibly preach, designed to be easily misunderstood and gross and terrible, to chase them away. And they begin to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And he says to them, he said it in the previous verses, and he repeats it again to them afterward. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You're like, what? That makes no sense. And for those of you who follow end times events and the mark of the beast, 666, this is John 666. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus is refuting the prosperity gospel, and a lot of these people are like, oh, I thought that was the deal. We, we thought that, that the gospel was not a way to get people to, that we thought the gospel was a way to get people to heaven. Isn't that what Jesus was about, to get people to heaven? No, that's not what he was about. He was, he was wanting to get people to God. And there's a big difference between the two. The other, the other sick aberration of Christianity that, that Jesus was confronting is the social gospel. And I would, I would dare say that most of the churches in the United States follow that aberration. And that sick version of Christianity. The social gospel, which is just be nice to people. Be good. Feed people. Do good things. And don't rock the boat by telling them about Jesus. That's not so important. They'll just see our lives, and that's good enough. And Jesus here is saying, no, that's not good enough. I'm walking away from the the food pantry business. 
I'm not interested in that. I'm walking away from the political activism committees and things because that's not the most important thing. The social, yes, there are social needs and Jesus met social needs, but those were not the primary thing. And he said, if you're going to make, if this crowd's going to make that the primary thing, I'm going to walk away from all of it. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do good things, right? In two Sundays, we're not going to meet here. We're going to go out and do good things. But that is a platform to tell people about the most important thing, which is Jesus. And, and that's where we not, need to not get distracted. Do we need, you know what, we need more volunteer firefighters in this community. And if you're young and you're healthy and you have some time, if you don't have time and you want to do that, that would be awesome to do that. But not to just save people's lives but to be a presence and a light for Jesus Christ. And we need, we need school board members, right? But not so that our kids get a better education, but so that you can, you can share with people about Christ. And there's a good way and a bad way of doing it. And I'm not, so I'm going to give you an illustration because here's another thing that I realized just this week. This is the largest gathering of coaches in Susquehanna County every week is Sunday morning at Bridgewater, largest gathering of coaches. We have soccer coaches and softball coach and, and baseball coaches, and we got wrestling coaches and, and track and, and cross-country coaches and cheerleading and probably sports I'm forgetting right now. All here. And, and why do we coach? I hope it's not just to help people get good at something or even to teach character. I hope it's to show others Jesus and maybe even have an opportunity to share that with others. And, and so here's a, a good and a bad example of how to do that. Bad example, going to pick on some pastors. So I've been in this area for 16 years as a pastor of Bridgewater, and, and sometimes I am called upon to involve other pastors in community events. And so in this particular community event, this, I was supposed to ask a pastor to close in prayer. And so I asked this guy, could you close in prayer? He said, yes, great guy. Um, he got up to close in prayer and he preached a 10-minute message. And it was at the end of everything, right? Everybody's like, oh, good, we're leaving. And, uh, and he goes on and he goes on and they're like, ah, and then he prays and then they leave. And, and, and then there's another time I asked the pastor to, all he was supposed to do was pray, right? And so that's all he did. He prayed the longest public prayer I have ever witnessed. It was literally, I think I started timing it. It was nine minutes long. He prayed the blood of Jesus and the death of Jesus. He prayed the resurrection. He prayed the sinner's prayer. I mean, he got all the points in and probably a poem as well. Maybe not a poem, but, you know, and, and, and so the same thing. People are, and I understand, so I understand the motivation these guys are thinking, man, this is, there's so many people here. They need Jesus Christ. I got to get it all in right now. Everything. You know, it's like some of you, some of you don't have a green thumb. You have a brown thumb. And you've told me about this where you get plants and you kill them. Always. Someone could give you a cactus and you'll kill it. Right? And there's two ways of doing that. And the one way is you neglect your plant. You, you, you water, you do the water thing, and then you forget, and, you know, nine months goes by, and the cactus is dead, you know? And then others of you, though, are the opposite, 
you give too much attention and you're so worried, man, I'm constantly killing my plants. This one's going to be different. I'm going to water it in the morning. I'm going to water it in the afternoon. I'm going to water it every evening. And this thing will never die. And unless it's like a swamp lily, you kill it because it's too much watering. And these pastors were the too much watering kind of, you know, knee-jerk reaction of, I got to get everything in right now and give an invitation and get people saved. And, and, and it's like, boy, if, if a little bit of fertilizer is good, man, a whole bucket full on this one plant will really be good. And you, and you burn it. But most of us here, that is not our problem. Most of us here have the other problem of neglect. And we think, well, I, I just don't know how to bring it up, and I don't know. Number one, if you aren't totally convinced, jumping out of an airplane convinced that Jesus is the answer, of course it's not going to come up in your conversation. But you know what? When we talk about masks, what's the problem with masks? The problem with masks, whether you're for everyone wearing masks or for no one wearing masks, the problem with masks is people are selfish. And they're not thinking of others. And the solution to that is Jesus Christ. And maybe that's all you need to say. Don't, don't try to, you know, dump too much on. Here's a good example of how, how you can do this. Uh, Charlotte Sherwood is the public speaking teacher at Montrose High School. And I was coming to pick up uh, my son from practice, and I saw her in, in her Jeep waiting. And so then I, I said, hey, how have you been doing? And she was telling me about her class. She gives her first assignment of the year in her class is for someone to tell the class about themselves and use a word picture. So different, you know, students are coming up. There's over 20 in the class, and they're giving word pictures. You know, a word picture for my life is a valley with mountains. And, you know, the valley is where I want to be, and it's the great place, but you got to, I had to get over the mountains, and they were tough to get to this valley. And, and so different, and then this one young man gets up to speak, and he says, the first thing you need to know about me is I'm a Christian, and that means I'm like a light, a candle in a dark place. And the goal of my life is to shine the light in darkness and to help people that are in the dark. And that was it. And that was his speech. He didn't like give an invitation and pray with me now, the sinner's prayer. There was no one at the end of the class that fell on their knees and, oh, what, sir, what must I do to be saved? Right? Because we're gardeners. We just water a little bit and stop and give it time. And most of gardening and farming, most of it, I'm not a farmer, do a little bit of gardening, but most of it is not a harvest. You're not harvesting most of the time. The vast majority of the time is actually what? Waiting. It's nothing. But always ready. A little bit of water. Maybe fertilizer once or twice at the most. And, and you know, we need, to, we need to wake up in the morning. God, give me an opportunity. Help me to see where I can water. Help me not to drown the plants, but help me not to starve them. But help me to give the world what the world needs, which is Jesus. The gospel is not a way to get to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. And this was a, a historian after World War II. There was a great disillusionment. After World War I, they thought that was the war to end all wars. And then they realized, so the philosophy of progress led us to believe the savage and primitive was behind us, but it turns out it was within us. That is the real problem, not other people. 
but me. I used to tell my children adventure stories. I still tell Daniel adventure stories about monsters and heroes who fight them. And, and with every single one of them, whether they remember it or not, there have been times where I would stop and I would say, well, you know, you know there's no such thing as monsters, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, Dad, we know. That. You're just making it up. Like, well, actually, there is one monster in my stories that actually is very, very real. And it's the most terrifying of them all. They're like, really? Which one? People. People are the scariest monsters you'll ever meet. People with a nice little smile on their face who go on to kill these two men together, over 100 million people. Most successful mass murderers in human history. In the name of progress, in the name of secondary things, that they would do anything, anything to accomplish. And that's our problem. Our problem is in a mirror. I never told my kids the scariest monster you'll ever see is when you look in a mirror. That, they would take that wrong, you know. But that's the truth. That's the monster we got to deal with. That's the monster Jesus died for, the Bob monster. How do you do that? Um, one of the ministries that we support as a church is the Hospital of Hope in Mango, Togo. It's in the northern end of Togo, predominantly Muslim region. They, they treat about 16,000 patients every year. And it was started by um, two men. One of them is Alan Niles. The, uh, he, he did the administrative, the chaplain, the spiritual end of things. The doctor he was with actually died of lasso fever shortly after the hospital began. These people are willing to give their lives for the cause. Is, is the cause helping the health in northern Togo? No, that's not the cause. It's changing people's lives spiritually. Did you realize that until, I think it was the 1960s, every single hospital in sub-Saharan Africa was built and started by Christian missionaries. Not Hindu missionaries, not Muslim missionaries, not secular atheists that were doing good. Every single hospital until the 1960s. So meeting people's physical needs, that's a good thing, but it's a secondary thing. And Alan Niles, in, in, in starting this hospital and spearheading that, he formed a chaplaincy program. In fact, when you are recovering in your room, there's only one channel, and it plays the Jesus film in your language. They have dozens of different language groups, and it's a, a, a movie that, about the life of Christ translated into all the languages. And every single word of dialogue in that movie comes directly from Luke in the Bible. And so they hear the gospel and these chaplains follow up with them and then they follow up with them in their villages and one of those chaplains who was a Muslim man himself who would do the call to prayer in the morning, he accepted Christ and he went out into these villages and at one time, I remember Alan showing us pictures of over, over 40 Muslims being baptized, having given their lives to Jesus Christ through his ministry, through this hospital. That's what they want to do. The fixing people's body is secondary. Training um, Africans, the, they have a nurse training program, and when you graduate, you are the equivalent of an RN. It's a three-year program. They have 19 uh, job spots for this to be trained as a nurse there. 
they have over 900 applicants the last time they opened it. And so they're training these. And is training, you know, more medical personnel in that country important? Absolutely. But it's secondary. And um, in fact, I want to give a shout out. Um, I just before the service heard that Jake Boner in Ethiopia is watching today. So, so it's great to have him joining online with us. And Jake is doing the same thing in Ethiopia. They have a leper ministry, ministering to men who, who, who can't care for themselves because they've lost fingers, they've gone blind, and uh, you know, they've lost their feet in some cases because of this terrible disease of leprosy. And, and why are they helping them? Not just to help them physically, but to tell them about Jesus Christ and to see the joy in these men's lives and all the other ministries that they have over there in Ethiopia. It's not just to help them physically, it's to change them spiritually. And that's, that's what we need to be about. Jesus you know, concludes this chapter. He turns to his disciples. Everybody's leaving. Thousands of people, they're walking away from Jesus. And he turns to them and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asks the 12. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus, I have no idea what you just preached. That message makes no sense, eating your flesh and drinking your blood. I, but I'm going to follow you even when I don't understand. You know, right now we're going to actually participate in, in a remembrance ceremony uh, to remember Jesus Christ. And I just want to mention, if you didn't get a, a cup on the way in, you can make your way back. There's a table back there if you want to get one right now. These are not childproof, but they're adult-proof. <laughs> there are two little things to tear away, and you can tear the top part away. In a moment, we'll eat uh, this little wafer on the top, and then, um, and then we'll drink the juice. But Jesus says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And, and what, what he's, he's willing to do is he's willing to go it alone. He's willing to obey and do what the Father wants, even if no one is there with him. Are you willing in the same way to do that? Even if your family says, you're on your own. Even if you're the only one at work who stands up for Christ, are you willing to be alone following him? Because Jesus was willing to be alone. In the garden, when he was arrested, everyone ran, and he alone went to his trial. When he was whipped before the crucifixion, he was alone as he was being whipped. When he was crucified, the women were there, John was there, but, but they weren't on the cross with him. He alone paid for our sins and died for us. Are you willing to go it alone? Because one with God is a majority. What we need is not better economics. What we need is not better politics. What we need is not better whatever. Boy, God, if you would just give me a better mouth. That was Moses' excuse. And God says, you don't need a better mouth. You just need me. And Jesus said, when he said, when you eat my flesh, what he was saying is bread was the most common food in that region of the world at that time. And he said, as much as you think you need bread, you think that's an important need, I am a more important need than bread. I will satisfy you in greater, more important ways. You need me. And so Jesus took the bread 
And he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat this and when you do it, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And again, the most common drink, perhaps besides water, for them at that time. So, so every time they ate a meal, I think the disciples thought, more important than this food, a greater hunger than my physical hunger is Jesus. He's more important. He's who I want. So in the same way, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for you. God, help us not to chase lesser gods, lesser things. Help us not to to get distracted from the most important mission that you have for us, the mission of, of, of loving you, and leading as many people as possible in that journey to love you as well. God, help us to know how to open our mouths. Most of us don't overwater, we underwater. God, help us to know how to water, how to speak up, how to to put a seed of, of curiosity in someone's heart and mind. God, I, I talk way too much. Help me to ask questions more. And God, I just pray that you would change this country, not from the top down. Lord, it would be awesome to see the highest, most powerful people in the land surrender their lives to Christ and completely change their hearts. But God, I have a feeling, and history tells me that you usually go the other way. You choose the poor. You choose the uneducated. You choose the those who are not noble, who have no pedigree, who, who are nobodies. You, you would choose people in a rural, forgotten corner of Pennsylvania. Those are the kinds of people you would choose to change the world. God, change our hearts, change our families, change our church, change our community, change our state, change our country, change our world. Through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.